good morning, everyone. Um, thank you and um, welcome to um, the Young Innovations um, podcast. Uh, this is um, obviously the first series and um, today uh, is the World Health Day and um, the team speaks uh, to the fact that we should all um, build um, a fairer and healthier world, healthier world for young people, healthier world for adolescent girls. And um, we know that um, we want to know the work you are doing at your states. We understand that you are young innovation officers. What does it really mean? What does the word young innovation officer means? And we also want to find out about some of the amazing work you're doing with your um, with in your states and also with the virtual platform. And um, I'll first start by uh, with, with Mary. Please, can you um, introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Mary Adibisi. Uh, I work with Society for Family Health under the A360 Amplify Project as a Young Innovation Officer. Thank you. Okay, thank you, uh, Mary. Um, Ashimolowos Simi, please introduce yourself. Yes, um, good morning, everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to be on this post podcast with you all. My name is um, Ashimolo Simini Olua. I am a young innovation officer in Ocean State at the field level, where we interact majorly with our target audience, with our adolescent girls between the ages 15 to 19, and equip them on ways in which they can be independent as they go through life and with and skills and life skills in which they can use to navigate through life as challenges occurs. Um, working with stakeholders at the state level and also the community level to um, enhance effective youth to adult partnership in order to improve adolescent sexual and productive health and at the state level and also at the local government level. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Simi. And I see that you actually delved in, uh, into our second question. And I would um, also advise Cindy to also do this. Um, can you please introduce yourself and tell us um, what you do in your state? Okay, good morning. My name is Pulu Cinderella. I work as a young innovation officer in Nasara State, which is the North. Unlike the uh, with Society for Family Health on the project Adolescent 360 Amplified, unlike the South, we work majorly with uh, married adolescent girls, trying to reach them with uh, adolescent sexual and reproductive health services. We partner with governments. We majorly are involved in advocacies and also uh, sharing stories, success stories we gather from the field. So my work is majorly in the field. We bring feedback to the office about our, our activities. Thank you. Thank you, um, Bruce, for that. Um, so I would want to jump into the next question. And um, I would like to start with I would like to start with Simi. 
please can you tell us um young you told us about the work you do as young innovation officer but we want to know what is your experience what has your experience been like working as a young innovation officer in your states um for me it's a learning experience and um working with uh stakeholders and also with the girls with the girls it's actually interesting because you get to meet different girls with different goals life ambitions and get to like um like relate and resonate with them on different levels so working with them at this at the local government level has been quite interesting working with the stakeholders um starting with it was a little bit challenging because um not everyone understands the importance of meaningful youth engagement and the whole theory around it but as the time progressed um we we have found out that okay our stakeholders are beginning to incorporate meaningful youth engagement in their day-to-day working um, activities and life. And um, also they are, they are always looking forward to carry us along in activities and programs and all of that. So expose us to what's going on in the States and um, the implementation process and all. So for me, it's a learning experience and it's also an interesting journey to work with um, our our target audience and also the state's um, government to implement policies and effect change in areas regards adolescent sexual and reproductive health and also gathering um, success stories where we get to hear where we get to hear good news and good stories about what the program a 3 program and Nigeria's model has been doing in the states which is what I look forward to the most on the field um, where people relate their experiences as regards the program and the model in their day-to-day life and how it has helped improve adolescent sexual and reproductive health in their own personal life and the community at large and also the states because working with the state stakeholders they've um put forward that okay the ninja girls model has um, opened their eyes to a lot of possibilities as regards adolescents and youths in their states and um as they, they've they've they are quite open. They are quite open to the change and they are looking forward to better improvement, better collaborations with us as youths in the States. Thank you. Thank you, um, Simi. Um, I want to ask Cindy, is that different from what you're doing in your States as well? Yeah, in the North, it is different because uh, we, our work is majorly with the married adolescent girls, unlike the uh, the South, we know that uh, the married adolescent girls in general are mostly marginalized because they are very young. And at that age, 15 to 19, they are already married. So they are saddled with so many responsibilities. So I would say my work has really been interesting to me because it is fulfilling to work with these girls, trying to you know find out from them. You're working with them. You're getting to know some of their issues, especially around adolescent and sexual reproductive health. They are, uh, we try to you know, help them, connect them to a service provider, and you get, them, you get to solve some of their needs. So it has really been an interesting journey or uh, work experience for me. And also working alongside with uh, government uh, stakeholders. Now we've been able to you know, uh, advocate for policies in the North, uh, some some part of the north, the adolescent health is not really part of their policy, or maybe you know, 
uh, budget lines and all those things are not really being attended to. Now, working closely with the government, they've been able to see what A360 Amplified is doing, the work we're doing in the life of these uh, married adolescent girls. Now, it is interesting to them, and they are willing to partner with us. So this is like a win to me. Uh, working on this project. So the experience has really been wonderful because we, we get them to, you know, uh, bring up policies and also agree to create a budget line for these adolescent girls so that we'll be able to reach them with these services. Now we also share our success stories with them at the state level. That way we're making our work uh, from the field very transparent. So they're now seeing the impact of our work. So working uh, as a young innovation officer has really been a wonderful experience for me. It is a learning process for me as well as to the government because they are learning new ways of doing things, how to engage youth meaningfully to be able to achieve in their states. All right. Um, thank you very much, Cindy. Um, Mary, um, is this also different from what you do as a young innovation officer in, at the headquarters? Yes, I'll say it's different. Um, my work is majorly um, interacting with girls on the social media platform. And that's um, Facebook. The name of the page is Ninja Girls. So working with these girls on the social media platform, interacting with them has really been a um, learning experience for me and also fulfilling because you get to, I get to answer girls' questions and help them to make a lot of, um, make, uh, informed decisions because as we know social media platform is is for the good and the bad but you know interacting with the girls um at, at them asking questions on love on life on sexual reproductive health and giving them the best answer as a, that is really uh, fulfilling for me because yeah i'm very I'm sure that yes, the girls are the girls are getting the right information and decision they need in achieving their life goals. And also interacting with girls on the platform has made me know that yeah, girls have a lot of unmet needs. They have a lot of questions that they want people to answer. And also girls like love and privacy because some questions they have is something they can't discuss with their parents. But because the platform is a is a private space, is a safe space for them. They tend to talk, they, they tend to ask um, personal questions, a question that you like, you'll be like, wow, so this happened. So working with girls have made me to see um people from different perspectives, like they, we are all different. So, and also no question is stupid because when girls ask questions, they ask based on their level of exposure. So I feel my experience working with girls has been interesting and, um, I'm also learning from them, and I'm also happy that yes, I could help people to make informed decisions, and they will also be able to, you know, achieve their life goals. Thank you. All right, um, thank you, Mary, and uh, for our listeners, um, the A360 project is being implemented by SFH um, in country, and um, it's being um, funded by Bill and Melinda Gates and um, Children Investment Fund Foundation, CIF. The goal of the A360 project is to break down barriers to assess and um, voluntary use of modern contraceptives by adolescent girls aged 15 to 19. 
thereby increasing modern contraceptive prevalence rates and improving sexual reproductive health of adolescents. And currently, uh, they're running two programs, um, one in the southwest and one in the north. The one in the southwest is called Niger Girls, which Simi will be talking about. And um, the other, the one from the north is around, uh, it's called Matasa Matan Arewa MMA, which um, Cindy Will be talking about, and um, to also drive the youth component, um, uh, we have the young innovation officers, and they've also shared their experiences working in the states. Um, so uh, this uh, takes me to my next question. I understand you. You while you were speaking, you talked about girls, adolescent girls. Can you tell us? Um, um, uh, this this question goes to um, Cindy. Um, can you tell us about the journey of an adolescent girl in your state? What is the journey like? Okay, thank you for that question. Um, for the journey of an adolescent girl in my state, uh, it's, kind, it's kind of, it's different for every girl because every girl has their different paths they take or apply. But for a typical girl in, the, in my state, um, an adolescent girl age 15 to 19 is either in a senior secondary school um, class or she is about to finish school. And um, in this state, especially in the local governments where we are implementing in, most of them don't, most of them drop out and don't finish school. And also some of them are in school, but like an the older age I'm like the lower classes, like from GS1 to GS3, because they didn't have the opportunity to start school on time. But the typical life of an adolescent girl, um, she stays with her parents. Um, her parents put her through school. Those who are capable put them through school. Those who are not capable will um, send them to work um, in an apprentice shop that they are learning hairdressing or tailoring or baking or catering and all of that. But most of them, they most of them who are in school still learn a skill. For for girls in my state, they still learn a skill. It's like that skill is like a form of support for them. And girls see it as a form of support also to help their parents. So girls in school, after their classes during the day, they go to their apprenticeship shop where they learn skill to the late hours of the evening where they return home um, and help their parents with um, basic things at home. So majorly adolescent girls within my states are school goers. They go to school and they ensure that they want to finish their education and focus on their education and afterwards find a form, a form of source of living for themselves um, to be independent in life. Yeah, basically that's how their journey goes. Uh, very interesting. Um, very interesting. Um, please, um, Cindy, would you like to share um, what um, the life of an adolescent girl is, is like in, in the North? Yes, uh, quite different from the South. The trajectory of an adolescent girl in the North is different. At from age 14 to 15 and so on, uh, an adolescent girl, depending on her body size or the way she grows, she's already married at that age. So uh, 
at that age, she's already in her husband's house. And majorly, some of them have attended maybe primary school, some no school at all. Then some of them have even uh, exposed to at least the junior secondary school and a very few are uh, exposed to the secondary education. Now they are mostly married. And after marriage, what they think of in their mind for a typical Northern adolescent, married adolescent, is how to take care of their family. So you see them engage in petty trading, a business that allows them to operate from the house to be able to cater for their own personal needs and also to support the family. And for some of them, uh, depending on how their agreement was or how the husband is um, financial, his financial status, they, they are thinking of going back to school. That's after marriage. But for some, they are just thinking of how to uh, really empower themselves to be able to earn more, to cater for themselves and their family needs. So uh, basically, a typical Northern girl is not um, really, okay, their level of exposure to education is not really high before marriage. So that is the difference between a Northern uh, adolescent girl and a Southern one. This one is thinking about uh, her family because she's uh, usually already married. So she's thinking of how to take care of her family before. Now, if uh, depending on what they want to do, she's now thinking of either to go to school or to learn a trade and, you know, try to earn a living. That is it. Um, thank you. Thank you, Cindy, for sharing that. Um, uh, we can imagine um, some of these issues that are affecting the adolescent girls in the States. Um, uh, so um, I want to ask, and I, I still want to hear from you, um, Cindy. Um, okay. During the COVID, we know COVID um, affected so many things, affected um, access to facilities, affected, I mean, even the mental health of adolescents, um, young people was also affected. I mean, there were some gaps that we actually um, saw that um, that shows that yes, we need to actually do more and the government needs to do more. But I want to hear from you, what were the challenges that these girls, the girls you said face in assessing um, adolescents uh, sexual reproductive health information and services during COVID? Cindy? Uh, I would love to go while we're waiting for Cindy. I would love to go to Simi. No, I don't know if you can hear me. Okay. I was talking okay. my name. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. During the pandemic, um, some of the challenges we had were, uh, were that. Now, for the girls, you know, access to uh, the facility, getting to the facility was a bit difficult because, one, it's either they do not uh, possess the personal uh, protective equipment that will uh, guarantee them access into the facility or the waiting time was too long because, you know, we uh, during the pandemic, only a few persons were allowed into the facility space for a period of time before others get in. So waiting time was uh, much. And for a girl who wants to access ASRA services, you know, once they, they, they are asked to wait for long, they tend to get tired and they find a way of going back home. 
and also the distance covered by these girls to get to the facility and then having to come to the facility to wait again was another thing. And also, uh, because of this distance, we thought that they could access services maybe in any facility nearby to their homes, but we discovered that not all the facilities have uh, have uh, the equipped youth-friendly health providers. And so this was challenging. And to, for the fact that phone ownership in the North is low, that was also giving us uh, uh, a hard time working with these girls. So these were some of the challenges the girls faced during the pandemic. Thank you, Cindy. Um, I want to ask, um, Simi, was that different for, for the girls you're serving in the Southwest? No, not it's, it's not different. Um, because those, these girls wanted to assess these services, but due to the pandemic and restriction of movement and all of that, there are no facilities. There are some girls who are located very far away from the facilities and they found it very, very difficult to assess the services at their own convenience because there was restriction of movement, no transportation, no nothing. So they had no option than to just stay at home and just endure whatever it is they are going through. And also um, with the issue of phone, phone was like, like a major barrier. For those that have phone, okay, the internet was a problem because not all girls have phones that can access the internet. So um, to get information as regards adolescent sexual and reproductive health. And also that, that, that was a major challenge for the girls because there was no phone, there was no internet to like access some vital information on the internet. That was a major source of challenge for us too. Then um, lack of youth-friendly centers because these girls, they are, because the way it's set is that um, there are PHCs at locations within the community that are least close to where we live, where the girls live. But not all, like my colleague said, not all um, um, PACs are trained on youth-friendly services. So going there and experiencing provider bias or lack of privacy and confidentiality was a challenge for the girls. There was no place to access these services due to restriction of movement and lack of youth-friendly centers and youth-friendly providers around in the community. So those are the major challenges the girl had to face and she just had to like keep silent on it and face it on her own. For us, those were just the major challenges. Thank you very much. I see that um, it comes out strongly that um, accessibility to facilities was a huge problem. And um, young, young people always seek for information, especially adolescent girls um, at the intersection of gender and age. So uh, I want to ask, um, I, I hear that there are some interesting um, adaptations that were taken up by the program. And I would love to hear about the virtual adaptations um, because we understand that um, during COVID, a lot of um, young people sought for information online. And I would like to hear from Mary, um, what, what have been some of the A360 best practices that was adopted um, during COVID um, in passing down information to the most marginalized girls via virtual platforms? 
Okay. Um, during COVID, um, the first thing we did, the project did, was to revamp the Facebook page because we see that that's a that's the platform that uh, we can use to access a lot and reach out to a lot of girls. So what we did is to make our page a safe space. Now we have a direct message session where girls send direct message and whatever we discuss there is private and confidential. And because we've seen during the course of the project that adolescent girls, especially the both married and unmarried girls, they like um, privacy, they like someone they can talk to and you won't broadcast whatever they had. So the first thing is to create a safe space for them and for them to be uh, rest assured that whatever we discuss here is private and confidential. And also another thing we did was um, to put up daily content on the page on love, life, and health um, key messages because during COVID, um, the feed could the feed states could not um, hold physical LLH class. So we put up those messages online for the girls so that they can interact with the message and be able to make informed decisions about their life. And another thing we did is to link girls with providers. Once they get sent a message that she wants to take up a method, so we link her with a health provider that is closer to where she stays so that she'll be able to assess the facility and also talk to the with the provider if she has any um, other questions. And also, um, during this um, adaptation and everything, we noticed that, yes, girls send a lot of questions. And so that we can meet up with um, answering their question, we launched the Ninja Girls chatbot. It's, is, is like a robot. So we um, put in question uh, answers on the frequently asked questions that these girls asked. So the chatbot uh, the girls interact with the chatbot and they get answer to their question fast and like fast reply to the questions. So those are the things we did during COVID for girls to be able to access uh, modern contraceptives and also to continue conversation on love, life and health skills. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Mary. Um, that's really interesting. Um, I think uh, I would like to ask um, so far, like, how many girls have you been able to reach? Um, how many girls have you been able to reach via this platform? On the rough. Okay, uh, let me say we started last year. So uh, over 5,000 girls have sent a direct message asking questions on love, life, and health skills. Yeah, we have over 5,000 girls, and we've linked um, over 150 girls with um, health providers and also to the facilities. Yeah, that's just roughly, that's the estimate. All right, thank you very much. That's really, really interesting. So I would like yeah. to go back to Cindy and Simi. Um, so you made mention of some of the gaps that uh, you saw during COVID and even post-COVID. Um, I want to ask, um, I would like to start with Simi. So what are you doing as a young innovation officer to address some of these gaps? Okay. Um, after the COVID-19 period, and we realized, okay, these are the challenges the girls faced and came out strong for us. Um, we started adapting on the safe space programming, like um, Mary said, but this time around it's in the facility. 
where the girls can easily walk in and like see the provider and discuss issues concerning our love life and health aspect of our life to the provider and get counseling on that area of our life. So um, we, we, we found out that this was actually effective and um, for, for the young provider to remain as youth-friendly as possible, constant um, on the job training, capacity building to enhance that skill is always done to ensure that part of the program is covered. So the girl comes in and the girl walks in discusses whatever she wants in private and confidentiality with the young provider who is at most her age mate or a little bit above her age where she can easily like discuss and pour out her mind and her feelings and all of that concerning her love life and L classes. That was one thing we adapted. And also um, the digital, so we adapted the digital solution where um, we use WhatsApp to promote um, our love life and health classes um, because of the COVID-19 implementation in each state, um, large gatherings are not allowed. And um, before COVID-19, I held large gatherings where girls come and learn skills and discuss about their love life, their um, health, um, whatever it is that they need. The girls come in groups and we discuss that. But then we, we had to like revamp it and like it became online where um, we, we gather this pool of girls together on a WhatsApp group and from time to time, we feed them in on topics and discussion around their love life, their health and all of that. And girls to have the opportunity to say their minds, say their feelings, what they want, what they are in need of and how we can meet their needs on that platform. And also um, during the COVID-19 period, it also came out strong that um, these girls could actually get um, access informations from their parents, especially their moms. But for some reason or the other, that was not that was not forthcoming. They were not getting anything from their parents. So um, we 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 decided that okay, for this to work, we have to carry along our parents, their parents. So um, for us, is their moms where we bring them together to give them proper information because we realize that uh, um, most of our parents don't have proper information about um, our sexual and reproductive health. What they have is uh, myths and misconceptions. And so we have to like erase that aspect and equip them with proper information about adolescent sexual and reproductive health so that when they get home, they will be able to pass that information across their adolescent girls who do not need to go and start getting wrong information from their peers or what they see online because there are a lot of wrong information online. So we, we gather um, moms of adolescent girls together and um, sensitize them and educate them on adolescent sexual reproductive health and the importance of communicating and educating their young girls on um, their sexual life and all of that and how to like take care of their body and how to be independent and um all of that and also um for, for a girl who has something to do if she's busy then she'll be independent enough that okay when i need um a, a service or when i need um something that relates to my 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 sexual life i know where to get it i know how to get it so we equip these girls to be independent to learn a skill 
um, to take up a skill, um, even if it is two, three months, at least um, she, she, she can stand on her own and say, okay, yes, I am independent. I can source for myself. I can make living for myself and I can improve my life and achieve my goals. So all these we have incorporated at the field level and the, and the state level to make the girl feel like, yes, we see her, we see you, we know what you want. We know how to reach you. So um, this, this, these are what we have implemented so far. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Simi, for that. Cindy, uh, how is that different from what you're currently doing or what are you doing in your states to actually address those gaps? I know um, the context is really much different from um, the Southwest. Yeah. So for us, uh, for during the pandemic, how we've been able to you know, bridge the gap, that uh, waiting time and then the distance, what we did was uh, because we know there was low phone ownership, we tried the digital way of doing things, though it was a little successful because not all the girls do not possess phone. For those who had a phone, we were able to link them to a provider. They were able to talk on WhatsApp, they chat, they ask their questions and get feedbacks. Now they ask her when they should come and she tells them how and when to come. So uh, the, uh, the waiting time is reduced. But then uh, another thing we, we did was we used our mentors. You know, the mentors worked in the uh, community. And so uh, we innovated home visits. These mentors were doing a one-on-one -on -one home visit to these girls. Now, at the point of mobilization, for girls who have need or for those who are coming back for continuation, what the mentors uh, does was to, you know, she will uh, make a timetable, give them dates which they are to visit so they don't go at once and then some will have to come back because they were not attended to. So what we did was for the mentor to, you know, organize them, then we set a meeting for them with the provider where we can even provide them with, we give them PPEs uh that they can use to access to gain access into the facility but before the pandemic you know one of the challenges we had was uh community support lack of community support and husband support community support includes husbands yes and so what we were able to do is uh what the project is doing is using the mentors and the male IPCs. Now, the male IPCs are helping us to bridge that gap of uh, lack of community support because they speak with uh, husbands in the community, husbands who sit in Majalisa, a garden, maybe in the evening, they speak to them so that they will help them to support their wives gain access. What they talk about is the importance of uh, ASRA services, how the importance of ASRA services to them and to their families, and why they need to support their wives to gain access to these services. And also, we try to, you know, clear the myths and misconceptions about uh, contraceptives to these husbands so that they can help their wives too, and also support them to go to the facility. If they want more clarity on some of these issues, we advise they visit the provider together with their wives so that all these issues will be cleared. And then the husband can now freely support his wife to access these services while the mentors are in the field talking to the wives directly to access uh, services. They uh, build their skills on 
life on their family, how to take care of. They give them so many skills, negotiation skills, uh, managing money and saving money, and clear some of their minds and misconceptions about contraceptives, and also give them the importance. Now they are talking to them directly, to these uh, young married girls directly with these skills. And at the end of it, they also graduate and also learn a skill, at least, to help them start up something and to be able to save money. So this was how we worked. Thank you. All right. Um, thank you, um, Cindy. Um, that takes me um, quickly to my next question. Um, also, Cindy, um, please, would you be kind to drop your um, Twitter handle in the chat box for me? And um, so I'll move to Mary. Um, you spoke around... Um, some of your virtual adaptations. And I know that um, it doesn't come with, uh, it does come with some challenges. I would like to know what have been those challenges for you passing down information, ASR information to adolescent girls via a virtual platform. Yeah, for the virtual platform, one of the challenges um, was in our target audience are 15 to 19 years. And from our data, we notice most girls from, let's say, 15 to 17, uh, just few of them are on Facebook. Most of the girls are from like 18 to 24. So that's one of the challenge, like low phone ownership. Like say low phone ownership or because of data, most of these girls from 15 to 19 are not actively on Facebook. And also while interacting with the girl, it's possible to send her a message today. Then she might reply like a week after, probably because of data or maybe she's using her friend's phone for Facebook. Yeah, that's one of the challenge. Uh, another thing is um, bias. Some some people are still biased about um, a young girl taking a contraceptive method. So when we put up posts on the page on on contraceptives, you see some comment like some comment from some some of our followers like no, you don't have to take this method, you don't have to use contraceptives, stuff like that. So most girls that want to take the method, they 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 don't have the liberty or let like, I say they are shy to comment publicly on the page. So sometimes we just tend to just keep quiet, and some some people could send a direct message, that's a private message. So those are the challenges like bias. People are still biased about a young girl taking a contraceptive method. They feel that when an adolescent girl take a contraceptive method, that means she's promiscuous. So because of this uh, comments and everything, you know, social media, <laughs> you know, yeah, it has its good and it's bad. And you can't, you can't control what people see on social media, even it's on your page. Yeah, so this, um, these are the challenges I faced working on the virtual platform. Thank you very much, Mary. Um, it's quite interesting. Um, uh, so uh, how have you been able to, um, and this is just um, a question to you, uh, how have you been able to manage some of the responses, of course, we know that you definitely be getting some response that does not speak to some of the, some of your goal or the objectives of the of of the Facebook page. Have you been able to manage that? 
Okay, yeah. So when we get um, responses and comments on that on our post, what I do is to reply, reply such um, comments and give out the right information. And I've seen that, yes, this has been working because there was a time where we put up a post on um, contraceptives and someone um, just put a comment that no contraceptives um, affect the womb and womb and fertility. So I had to respond to her that no, it doesn't. You have to speak with the provider before you take up a method. And so from that conversation, I noticed that after replying now, most girls, they were like, okay, um, uh, they were like, okay, that's true. And they sent a lot of direct message from that um, from that response that I gave the guest. So they were sending message like, okay, so tell us more about contraceptive. Is it true that it does not affect the womb? So what I do, how, how I manage those comments is to respond to those comments and put out the right information so that other people can also learn from it. Thank you very much, Mary. So I would like to go to go back to Cindy and um, and Simi. Um, so you talked about how you are working to address these gaps, and I want to ask, what can we do? What can we practically do as activists to hold governments to account for achieving those important commitments they have made as regards to um, promoting um promoting um adolescent sexual reproductive health for adolescent girls i mean what i what what can we do and how are you working with other youths in in your states to to do this okay so for us uh how we can hold government to this or accountable to all this is to cont is continuous partnership you know we shouldn't leave them or maybe just go for an advocacy act and just go and allow we sit back and watch what they do later. We should continually partnership uh, partner with them so that uh, we keep reminding them of those things they've promised to do, and uh, especially integrating some of what A360 is doing into their own systems, all the promises they made by replicating some of uh, our activities into their own government system. Now we can continually uh, go for advocacy visits, reminding them of these our acts, and then finding out how far, what have they done, and what can, how can we come in and help them? In what way can we support to ensure that this is achieved? And also for other youth groups in the uh, state, we can partner with them, especially those working on uh, with on adolescent health. We can partner with them to see how they are working. Then they get some of the ways we are also working. Now that is a good partnership. That way we'll be able to reach a, a larger number of adolescent girls than we can uh, as A360 Amplified alone. So uh, I think that is what uh, we should be doing. Continuous advocacy and partnership with government and other youth-led groups in the state. Um, thank you very much. Um, Simi, would you want to share your own thoughts around this topic? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, for me, 
um, what we do to what we can do to hold our governments accountable to their commitments and their deliverables is that we should actually hold them accountable. Like, um, we should carry out like social accountability methods where we involve um, citizens of from the grassroots level, which is the community level, and also um, involve this all all partners within the community level. That's this um, CS um, the civil society organizations where we hold our government accountable, we hold um we hold citizens hearing where the the minds of the citizens that are that are the ben, um, beneficiaries of this um government policies and implementation they come together and speak on what is happening uh, and um hold the government accountable okay that this is what they have done so far this is what they are here to do this is how far they have gone so um uh, um putting ourselves in that social accountability framework where the citizens themselves that are in charge of getting this benefit from the government come out to speak on it and also like promote it on our social media platform, like holding campaigns, um, social media campaigns and all of that, holding community dialogues to bring citizens together to speak on what the government had, have done and what they are, they, are, they are yet to do. So that when the government sees it, they know that, okay, the citizens are actually tracking their, 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 their progress, their implementation, they are tracking their resources, what they are using, how, they've, how far they've gone um, and all of that. And also there's a platform, um, you report where power is placed in the hands of every and anyone who has a phone to like, um, like send a quick message and update on what's going on as regards questions that pop on on that review report. I believe that's a, like a great platform to track um, the track the progress of of the government as regards the commitments that they have made concerning our advocacy acts, which is to increase and improve the access of adolescent sexual and reproductive health services to girls, irrespective of their age, um, adolescent girls. So yes, I, I, I believe that uh, our governments can be held accountable if we do it the right way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Simi, that's true. And I had, um... Um, Cindy talk about um, partnership, which is really really key for for any for any program. Uh, I, I, that takes me to um, Mary. How do you think um, partners and um, stakeholders working within um, the sexual reproductive health space can leverage on the amazing work you're doing? Yeah, um, okay. I think the main thing they can do is meaningful youth engagement because fine, we are working with adolescent girls. So for partners and and other stakeholders, the youth should be actively actively involved in decision making in the planning phase, and also when making policy for these young girls. The, the girls that you are making policy for should also be involved while you are trying to make this policy. That is the woman center design, because these are the people you are trying to solve their problem. So you should carry them along while making um, policy and decision. So I would say meaningful youth engagement will go a very long way 
to um to the work we are doing and to help to promote a asra service because we are youth and we know what we want we know how we feel so yeah we need the other ones and the other ones like to guide us but uh the youth should be actively involved in every process in all the things like they are going to the youth should be actively involved yeah that would go a very long way thank you thank you mary um so um i want to um go back to everybody um thank you for your amazing uh, um responses so so I want to ask, and I would like to start with Simi. So are there any recommendations? Today's World Health Day, and um, today's World Health Day, which is being celebrated every um, April 7, um, to create awareness and to also um, draw attention of government stakeholders to the need to achieve um, universal health coverage for all, especially adolescent girls. And um, this year's team is building a fair and healthier world. So what would you say, what are your recommendations to the government, to the state government or to the, and to the national government on the need to, to do more? What's, what are those recommendations and what are those you ask? I'd like to start with Simi. All right, thank you. Um, like um, Cindy said, um, effective partnership will go a very long way in improving um, access to health for everybody. Um, effective partnership at the state level, um, we, we should be able to like recognize people within the states that speak to what the issues we are speaking on and, and advocating on. So effective partnership among um, the youths, among um, ministries that, that resonates with our advocacy acts and the issues that we are trying to solve, um, especially concerning adolescent sexual reproductive health. We have a lot of partners in which I recommend governments to like go and and build a strong partnership with. Um, we have the Ministry of Science and Technology. We have the Ministry of Youth Development. We, we, we need more youths um, on, on all hands on deck on this issue of adolescent sexual and reproductive health because it's, it's a really taxing, it's a really taxing um, point for us where we, we have to speak on the rights of adolescents to have access to whatever method they choose to have access to, whatever method they want to use. So we need, effective partnership on that. And I also like re recommend to our government that they should prioritize adolescent sexual and reproductive health. Like it is one of our major advocacy acts. They should please prioritize adolescent sexual and reproductive health. We understand that um, we have um, um, policies and regulations on um, family planning for women of reproductive age, but there's none that come out strong that yes, we have adolescents in this country that needs health, that needs sexual and reproductive health services. So, so we, we recommend, I recommend that government should please prioritize our Ad, um, adolescent sexual and reproductive health. And again, it's one thing to prioritize adolescent and sexual reproductive health. It's, one, it's another thing to have resources to back that up. So we also need like um, resources to back that prioritization or we need human resources. We need um, financial resources. We need material resources to back that up. And also um, effective planning across all re relevant bodies um, should align with our needs. Um, that I, I would recommend that we should go to the grassroots. We should ask people what they want. What is it that they want? What is it that they need? Because 
if we ask, we will, will, will know where to channel our energy on and where not to channel our energy on. So we need effective planning that aligns with people's needs. And I'll recommend that to the government that before they put something out to us, they should consult the people who are beneficiaries of that. Yeah, for me, that I don't know if Cindy has anything. Okay, Simi. Uh, similarly to what Simi has just said, I would want to recommend that government prioritize uh, adolescent health because uh, usually when, when you talk of health, the adolescent health is being marginalized somehow and then they don't really get uh, attended to. Also budget line concerning adolescent health and uh, health issues and services uh, being like they're not taking they are not being given so much consideration. So uh, my own acts and recommendation is that government look into this and try to prioritize the adolescent uh, health because uh, dealing with adolescent issues is like catching them young because as adolescent, if you're able to equip them with information, the right information, and girls as adolescents are able to make informed choices and decisions at that stage, then we're building a, a society or a, uh, a, yeah, a society, a better society where girls are informed at that age. And so growing up, we'll have a better society. We'll have girls, uh, mothers who will train their children better. And also, uh, government should also leverage on already uh, like uh, uh, strategies that are already on ground, like what A360 is doing. They should try and, you know, look at such things, what partners are doing in the country and in the states as government. They should leverage on some of those uh, strategies, those work, good work that partners are doing and find a way of sustaining them by integrating them into their own system, creating budget lines for these activities so that while partners are gone, these things, these activities can still go on and girls would be able to access services anytime and every time. That way we'll make ASRA services easily accessible to adolescent girls, which is our goal. And it should be the goal of the government too, because when they do that, they are catching them young and the health of a country begins, I think, with the adolescent girls. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cindy. I would like to quickly get a feedback from um, a response from Mary. What are your recommendations? What are your advocacy asked quickly? Okay, yeah, my recommendation. The first one is the government should reduce age of consent for girls that are below 18. Girls that are below 18 should be able to uh, have access to contraceptives easily. Because the truth is, unplanned pregnancy is a big barrier to a girl um, future goal. Because once a girl gets pregnant, it doesn't make uh, a decision for her. So government should reduce age of consent for girls. Girls should be able to go to the facility anytime, anywhere, and get more than contraceptives. And also, the government should um, um, train more youth-friendly health providers because most providers are biased. They have this notion that ah, ah, you this small girl, why are you coming to the facility? So they should train a lot of um, health providers on youth-friendly services. They can also um, 
put it in the curriculum for nurses. So why in school, you know, like, yeah, this is the right way to attend to adolescent girls because this will, it will go a, to go a long way for adolescent girls. These girls are sexually active, that's the truth. And to be able to help them in achieving their life goals, they should reduce age of consent so that to reduce the rate of unplanned pregnancies or abortion. That's my um, recommendation for the government. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. I really want to appreciate all the speakers today. Um, um, Simi, uh, Anitam, Mary DBC, Cinderella Bolus, really appreciate your time. Um, for our listeners, um, if you want to find out more about A360 program, just go on um, a360learninghub.org. I repeat, a360learninghub.org. And you can also follow us on Facebook at A360Nigeria uh, to, to follow up on our programs. And also you can visit the Niger Girls Facebook page. You can visit the Niger Girls Facebook page. So uh, thank you again. Uh, this is the end of this um, episode. Uh, we look forward to you interacting with um, some of our, our key uh, tweets today as we, as we celebrate um, the World Health Day. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.